three simple words. Love one another. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the line of fire as we start our week together. I, I want to be totally candid with you. I would love to see this show on YouTube get a million views. I would love to see it go completely viral. My expectation is that's not going to happen. My expectation is with a title like Love One Another, with subject matter focusing on walking in biblical love, that it's not going to be sensational enough that it's not going to be controversial enough, that it's, it's not going to have enough clickbait to it to draw people in. And when we start to open the scriptures and open the scriptures and open the scriptures and open the scriptures, that will get less viewers and less listeners than if, if we had just started blasting different people by name or tackled some really controversial subject. Nonetheless, I believe this is super important. All right, so if you respect me, if you believe that I'm trustworthy, then take me seriously when I say today's show is really, really, really important, all right? And what's interesting is in 11 plus years of daily radio broadcasting, I don't believe I've just focused on this one subject to this intense degree as I'm going to today. I'm not taking any calls, all right? No calls. If the world around us is collapsing, I'm not commenting on it. We're just looking at Scripture. We're going to share some personal stories along the way, but primarily want to open up Scripture and talk about the tremendous need that we recover this as God's people. May I remind you that in John 13, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet and Judas had gone out to betray him, that Jesus said to the eleven, By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I wonder what the watching world thinks of us as followers of Jesus, as professing followers of Jesus, as scripture-quoting, Bible-believing, church-going, congregation-going followers of Jesus, Yeshua. I wonder what the world thinks of us as they see us savage each other online, attack each other online, belittle each other online, insult each other online get so self-righteous and indignant and angry that we seem to show anything but love to one another. It wouldn't surprise me if the watching world watched many of us and said, I don't know what they are, but they're certainly not disciples of Jesus. Because he said that the world would recognize us, that everyone would recognize us as being disciples by our love one for another. And the world watching say, well, they're anything but that. So it's not just that we're hurting each other. It's not just that we're grieving the Lord, but we're hurting the world. We are pushing them away from hearing our message of Jesus because our other words and our other actions speak more loudly. Now, this is true outside of the political realm. The way we treat each other online is, is often savage and ugly. I'm just talking about interpersonal interaction. 
I'm not talking about an extreme heresy hunter or someone on the other side bashing and everyone attacking. That's bad enough. But I'm just talking about sharing opinions and going back and forth. We can be so vicious and savage and so unloving and so unkind. And it said, well, I'm going to be strong. Well, Jesus was strong and Paul was strong and, and they taught us to love. All right. You, it takes more strength to disagree with love. It takes more strength and more conviction to restrain your speech than to just speak freely. Anybody can just speak freely. You go through Proverbs, a fool, someone that is morally deficient, they just speak whatever comes to their mind. They don't have a filter on their lips. The godly have a filter in their heart and their mind on their lips so that they process what's said and they speak the truth in love. But when you get over into the political realm, Whatever side you're on when it comes to President Trump, then it's like, forget Christian ethic, forget Christian standards, forget New Testament godly perspective. Just have at it. Attack either way. We're no better than the world, friends. So what I want to do is not condemn, not, not point fingers, not well, this one doing that and that one doing that. Rather, to say, let's look at the word. I've been very strong, very clear for many years, and, and again today in terms of how we mistreat each other online and how unbiblical it is, and how it drives people away from Jesus as they watch our behavior with one another. But rather than just beating on that, I, I want to present a beautiful ideal. I want to present God's holy standard, and I want to encourage us to live by it. So in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul is laying out the charismata, these gracious empowerments of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit gifts one in one way and another in another way, but it's all for the common good. And just as there are many different parts of the body, but all functioning together, that's how the body of Messiah, the body of Christ has to be. So just as the hand and the feet and, and the stomach and the brain and the mouth and the eyes all work in harmony, so the body works in harmony. But rather than just pursuing these gifts and these spiritual empowerments, we should pursue love. And then 1 Corinthians 13 lays out this love of God, this love that we are called to walk in. And then 1 Corinthians 14 says, pursue love and also these spiritual gifts. So here's what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, and become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. What if I could speak 10 different languages? I studied 12 or 13, really Hebrew only to speak, the others to read. But let's say I could, I could speak them all fluently. Some are ancient, <laughs> some are ancient languages. Let's say I could speak them all fluently. Ba, 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 and I'm going on with that. And let's say I'd speak in the tongues of angels. Does that mean speaking in tongues is charismatic terms? Or is he talking about just speaking with the angelic language? If I could do all that, wow, amazing. Dr. Brown, you're amazing. We've never seen anything like that. Blah, blah, blah. If I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Blah, blah, blah. But listen to me. It's, it's, not, it's noise. It's noise. You can speak in tongues. I'm a charismatic Pentecostal. I speak in tongues virtually every day of my life in prayer at one time or another during the day, and sometimes for hours at a time as I meditate before the Lord. If I do that and I'm not walking in love, it's just a lot of noise. All right, Paul continues. He says this, if I have the gift of prophecy, wow, that's cool, it's an amazing gift. And know all mysteries and all knowledge. Wow. 
know all mysteries and all knowledge. That's that's incredible. What revelation, what insight, what learning. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, I speak the word and it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. And these mountains of resistance are going to be moved. I can do all that. But I have not love. I am nothing. So you graduate from seminary with incredible amount of knowledge, information. Wow. Look at how much you know. You get divine insight, revelation. Wow. Look at how much you know. You can prophesy and your words come to pass. You can look into people's hearts and speak the secrets of their heart by the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a man of God you are. What a woman of God you are. You don't have love. You are nothing. If I don't have love, I am nothing. Paul says this, if I give away all that I own, and if I hand over my body, so I might boast, or as others were translated, hand over my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Whoa, do you understand what Paul's saying? Do you understand? He's saying you can give away everything you have to help the poor. You can give it all away. And you still can do it without love. You can literally be a martyr and have your body burned at the stake for the gospel. And, and if you are not acting in love towards God and love towards people, you gain nothing. You gain nothing. Now, I just want to give you background before we continue in this text. Before I got saved, I had a really bad temper. I was just a nasty guy to start, proud, nasty guy, heavy drug user, a couple of years before I got saved, ages 14 to 16, and I got saved at the end of 1971. So I was just nasty guy in general, but I had a horrific, possessive, jealous temper. Horrific. And if... Let's say I, I liked some girl a little bit in high school and she liked somebody else. I, I would, my temper would flare towards that person. It was miserable. And, but it could flare for other reasons. And, and I, would I would like turn into another person. And my two best friends played in a band with me. They, they, they named me Craig, the evil genie. He said, what are you, what kind of drug craze thing? In other words, it's like I became another person. Like this genie out of a bottle, except some evil genie. And they just, they didn't want anything to do with me. I just get so angry and so nasty. And just, so I had a terrible temper. It could manifest, particularly with this possessive jealous thing, but it could just flare at any time. And, and even my best friends didn't want to be around me. They call me Craig. And I just, I couldn't control it. And I, it was to my own detriment. So now I get saved. Now I get born again. I'm free from drugs. No more needle and no more heroin, no more speed, no more LSD, no more mescaline, no more hash, no more pot, no more ups, no more downs, no more cocaine, no, no nothing, zero, gone. I'm free. And I already quit drinking some weeks before. So I am free and I'm living a new life and I'm changed. And then a few things happen. Craig comes up again, that anger, the terrible temper, just furious. And, and it, I didn't know how to deal with it. It's absolutely terrible. And one night, I got really upset with the pastor's oldest daughter. I was furious with her and just ripped into her, and she wasn't being honest about her feelings towards a friend of mine and all. It's just, it was ridiculous. I mean, I, I saw her and her family last year. We were, we were all laughing about it. Just, do you remember? I was like, yeah, they remember. They remember when I got like that. Yikes. That's embarrassing. That's what happened. So it was, it was a Monday prayer meeting. I prayed the whole hour, maybe 10, 12 people there. It was a prayer meeting, so I was always there. I prayed a whole hour and I, I was so mad. I just 
that my anger didn't go away. I just prayed and stayed angry. So you talk about not connecting with God, hypocritical praying. That's what I did. And then I was waiting to talk to pastor's oldest daughter. I was just going to rip into her. And she was, she was so afraid of me. Not that I was going to do something physical, but just lashed with my tongue that she actually, she went down to the ladies room, which is downstairs in the church. And even though she's wearing a dress that night, she somehow climbed out the, the bathroom window so as to avoid having to talk to me. I wonder why she didn't come up the stairs. I found her outside. This was really nasty. And, and of course, she didn't say anything. I was intimidating and all this. Yeah, this was me. This was me. And the next night, Tuesday night, was church night. Went to service in those days, Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Monday night prayer meeting, Tuesday night service, then Friday night service, then we added a Wednesday night service, then Sunday night service. And that was Tuesday night service. And I was still mad. And I was about to have my confrontation with 1 Corinthians. 13. I'll tell you what happened. We come back. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We're talking about walking in love today, loving one another. And ultimately, by God's grace, I'm urging each of us to examine how we communicate with one another. If the world is watching, if Jesus is watching, how do we communicate with one another, especially online when others can see? How do we interact? Do we show grace, respect, love, kindness, even in the midst of differences, even in the midst of political differences? Do we love one another? As Jesus says in John 13, everyone will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Does the world look at us and say, wow, how they love each other. Wow. They must be followers of Jesus. That's the only way to explain it. Or does the world look at us and say, hypocrites, who are these guys? So here I am, 16 years old, almost 17. It's early 1972. I'm a brand new believer, free from drugs and the other substance abuse, but still wrestling with a really, really bad temper. So bad that when I would get like that, my friends nicknamed me Craig the Evil Genie. It's like this evil genie came out of a bottle that was just so nasty and mean-spirited and I could cut with my tongue. So Monday night, I really lashed, gave it to tongue lashing to the pastor's oldest daughter and said, you weren't honest with me. You're talking about someone you had feelings for a friend of ours and a friend of mine and so on. You weren't honest with me. And, and anyway, you think, what kind of jerk? I was a jerk, first-class jerk, okay? So get to service that next night. Of course, I'm going to go to church. And I'm, I'm not angry then. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad. You know, I've gotten it out, but I haven't repented yet. I haven't gotten right. I haven't humbled myself and asked forgiveness. So the service is going on, and we would sing a couple of hymns. And in those days, we, we bring in our musical instruments in. So I bring my drum set and the bass player, guitar player, bring their equipment. And we would, we would join in for the few hymns every night and bring our equipment back and forth several times a week, if you could imagine that. I dismantle my drum set, bring it, bring it home, put it back together. This, several times a week, we would do that. Of course, no one was paid for that. So I'm in the service, and then we'd sing a few hymns, and then we'd have a prayer time. And if you had special requests, yeah, um, my uncle's going to be going in for surgery this week. Could we pray? Okay, yeah. My, my, I've been witnessing to my neighbor. He's really close to receiving the Lord's name is Sam. Can we pray? Yeah. So just different requests. And there was something called special unspoken. Special unspoken. What that was, was that you couldn't divulge what it was, but you just wanted people to pray. I have a special need. Would you pray? So the pastor's wife, who was the piano player, she's 
right in front of me. I'm there by the drums. She raises her hand, says special unspoken. Well, now I'm, I'm a little ticked. I'm like, that's me. You want prayer for me because I was mean to your daughter last night. You want prayer for me. That's what the special unspoken. It's about me. Why not just say it's Mike Brown. He lost his temper. He's acting bad. Pray for him. I, I, I was starting to get angry now. Okay. And by the way, that's what her special unspoken was. It was for me. So that night, the pastor gets up, and normally he was a real preacher. He'd you know, raise his voice and preach and get excited about the word and all this. And instead, he's reading 1 Corinthians 13, and gently, quietly, and as he's reading it, the sword of conviction pierces my soul. It was unbearable. I said, God, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll apologize. What I did is so wrong. It's so stupid. Please freaking just stop reading this. It's too intense for me. And of course, he just went through the text with a smile and taught. And afterwards, I came running up to him first because it was, you know, he's the pastor and it's his daughter had sinned against it. I went running up to him first and I'm, I'm, please forgive me. He just smiled. He, I was already forgiven by him. Just smiled. And anyway, let, let's, let's look at the text. Maybe for some, bad tempers or treating others in a cruel way and justify it, maybe the same conviction will pierce your heart. Love is patient. Oh, I know this is not sensationalistic radio and hot, cutting-edge, conservative radio and controversial theological radio, but friends, this is mega important. Love is patient. Hmm. Is that how you and I are known? Love is patient. Love is kind. Are we, do we treat one another with kindness? It does not envy. It does not brag. It is not puffed up. It does not behave inappropriately. It does not seek its own way. It is not provoked. It keeps no account of wrong. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Now, we'll come back to the end of this text in a moment. But what extraordinary words. One of the truly magnificent passages in the Bible that transcends space and time and culture and even religion, although it is gospel truth, these truths translate into every culture and every person from every religious background can read it and say, what amazing words, so simple, so clear, and yet so convicting. I read a story once about a little girl, or heard a story, and she went to her pastor, and he was teaching about love one another. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, I understand it. I'm one, and you're another. <laughs> love one another. That's simple. You say, well, because I love people, I tell them the truth. Yeah, yeah, love speaks the truth. Proverbs 27.5 tells us open rebuke is better than secret love. If you really love someone, you're going to tell the truth, right? But it's not cruel. It's not mean-spirited. It's not easily provoked. 
It is kind. Look, I, I will never be a shock jock radio host because I can't do that and follow Jesus at the same time. I, I will never be one of these mean-spirited guys that provokes everybody and gets a lot of views and listeners because of it because it's contrary to the spirit of Jesus. I will speak forcefully and clearly and where things need to be rebuked, do so as clearly as I can. But if there is not love shining forth, if what you get instead is human anger or Mike Brown's just really upset and nasty as opposed to being grieved and being burdened and therefore speaking the truth in love, if, if you get the other, it's flesh and it's not going to help anybody. It's just going to provoke more flesh. A few years ago, I was interacting with someone on my personal Facebook page. Even on my personal page, I very rarely interact just because of schedule and, and then just allowing others to say what they say in the comments section without my involvement. But this guy was going after me on some hyper grace issues and called me a jerk. So I responded saying, hey, I'm praying that, that the Lord would work in your life. You really come to know him and love him. And the person came back at me very aggressively. What do you mean come to, I love the Lord and just, you know, speaking very clearly about their passionate faith. And I just said, oh, I'm just not used to fellow believers in Jesus calling me a jerk. So we then began to interact privately. And this guy began to say, well, you don't have a temper. You don't have issues. I said, man, I had a terrible temper when I got saved. I had a horrific temper when I got saved. I had a nasty, nasty temper when I got saved. But God's grace working in my life helped me to overcome that. I said, grace is so important to you. You're preaching grace. You're telling me I don't believe in grace properly. But here you're getting nasty with me. And he goes, well, yeah, I could do better. And so it ended up being a positive moment for him. But we just think we speak whatever comes to our mind. Again, read Proverbs. I've been through Proverbs over and over and over and over and over and need to keep going through it over and over and over to grow in wisdom and, and learn more of God's ways that are laid out in this book. But, but the righteous do not just open their mouths. The one that opens the mouth wide, wide comes to destruction. The one hasty in his words comes to destruction. The, the wise store things in their heart. The wise process things. And, and the wise have a filter on their lips so that what comes out is going to glorify the Lord. It has nothing to do being weak or coward. Well, I'm just going to say it like I'm going to say it. Well, that's the flesh. You don't have the right to just say it the way you want to say it. You have to say it the way God wants you to say it. Well, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he called them vipers and so on. All right, if you have the perfection of Jesus, wherewith you can this clearly see religious hypocrisy to the point that you can speak in the same way that he did, God bless you. I just wonder if you do that, that Jesus may turn around and say to you, you're a whitewashed sepulchre yourself. You sound so great on the outside, but you're unclean on the inside. That's why it's better to walk in humility and then using the truth to expose error and to expose unrighteousness. Now, here's what's interesting. When I got saved, there was so much in my life, all the outward junk that had to get dealt with, you know, the outward fleshly sins, and then learning to, to be disciplined in, in my flesh and to say no and, and, and to grow. But then I realized, okay, the big things now are the, the attitudes in my heart and the words that come out of my mouth. So I would pray every single night before I went to sleep. I'd spend a few hours in prayer every, every day by the time I was saved, a good number of months and a few hours in the Word. I had a light high school schedule and just was so hungry to be with the Lord. But every night I would pray, and of course by memory, 
but otherwise just take it out and read it. I would, I would pray over 1 Corinthians 13, that you know, love is patient, love is kind. So it was the King James charity, right? I, I, would, I would pray specifically over those words and say, Lord, help me to walk in this love because I had such a bad temper and I had these other issues. And, and, and then I'd pray for verses in 2 Peter 1 about adding to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge. So I, I pray those things over myself, a couple other passages. And then I just pray from head to toe, Lord, the thoughts that are in my, my head, Lord, the, the things I hear, Lord, the things I see, the things I speak, Lord, my hands touch, my heart desires, my feet go, Lord, my whole body, my whole mind, my whole soul, spirit given over to you. And prayed those things many, 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 many times. And of course, I prayed for character qualities of Jesus to be manifest in my life many times since. If there is grace, if you do see any of those qualities, it means God can work in me, God can work in anybody. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown here. Love one another. It is the constant call of the New Testament. In fact, Jesus gives us the new commandment that we should love one another the way he loved us. Whoa. And yet there may not be a single command where we fail as much as with that command. There may not be a single call in the Bible where we fall short as much as that call. So we need revival, we need transformation, we need repentance, we need change. And I'm not gonna be taking taking any calls today, we're just digging into the scriptures, looking at what God's word says about love, not to condemn the brethren, but rather to say, let's take hold of this, let's pray over our own lives, Let's repent where we have to. You say, what, you're going you're gonna to reform the whole internet? Well, maybe I can impact your life and you can impact another life just as others have impacted me. And maybe you can start a chain reaction and, and maybe change will come. Hey, it could come at least in some circles. No, we can at least set an example. And people look at us and say, hey, you love, what you, you love each other. Why is that? Well, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. So look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. After laying out the qualities of love, he says this in verse 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they'll pass away. As amazing as the gift of prophecy is, it's going to pass away. Where there are tongues, they'll cease. What a, a great blessing tongues are, but they'll cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Because we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is partial will pass away. It's not referring to the canon of Scripture being closed. It's referring to the return of Jesus and what happens when he returns, that we come into the fullness of the knowledge of God. We don't need prophecy, tongues, or the partial knowledge we have anymore. When I was a child, he writes, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, right? So when Jesus returns, then we see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will fully know that even as I have been fully known, again, we have not yet gotten to that point. But now these three remain, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is essential. Hope, boy, hope gives us strength. Hope helps us endure it till tomorrow. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. 
And it's based on love that he then reiterates in 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and the gifts. This is how it all flows together. It's, it's just distressing to me, friends. It's painful that we are in this anything goes environment on the internet. I, I wrote a strong article some years back when Rick Warren's son committed suicide. I don't know Rick Warren personally, never listened to a whole message he preached, never been to his church, never read Purpose Driven Life. Don't know his son, didn't know his son at all. Only found out afterwards about the struggles his son had with depression and mental illness. Then his son kills himself. Can, can you imagine that? Somebody say, I don't have to imagine. It happened to me. It happened to a family member. But for the rest of us, who can imagine how you feel when your own child takes their life? Your child dying, just a car wreck or sickness, that's, that's hard enough. Taking their own life especially because of mental illness, and you're wondering, could, could I have been there? Could we have done anything to help? It's got to be agony. I started reading these posts on social media where people are blasting the son or blasting the parents or this guy, your doctor's not right, and that's why he, well, and, and, and then there are others that claim, well, the kid struggled with homosexuality and because of his parents' homophobic view, that it's like, where are you cutting? This is what the world was saying, some of it, but the church was saying stuff. I thought, what is this? This is, this is not madness. This is horrific. This is ugly. This is unacceptable, inexcusable. We're just going to air it. I mean, it used to be you'd think a thought in your own mind. Maybe you tell a close friend. It's like, oh, I really shouldn't have said that. Now we just post it all out there for the world to see. God help us. This is destructive. This is grievous. Oh, Mike Brown, you just sound self-righteous. I'm pleading with you from the heart of God and the word of God that we've got to step higher. I have my opinions. I have my viewpoints. Hey, you're a quick thinker. I'm a quick thinker. You're quick with your tongue. I'm quick with, your, with my tongue, all right? Before I was saved, I'd lash people with my tongue. And we'd go back and forth and attack each other, even make it into a context, a contest, excuse me. And who can insult the other one more effectively until the other guy like, all right, you win. You just rank me out better than I could rank you out. But friends, that stuff dies at the cross. That's fleshly behavior. That's contrary to every verse in the New Testament about how we should speak. Look what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, you are called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole Torah, the whole law can be summed up in a single saying, love your neighbor as yourself. In Hebrew, from Leviticus 19. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not destroyed by one another. Boy, Paul is saying this. I, I wish I could amplify this one verse, Galatians 5.15. Blow it up a trillion times and, and, and blast the entire internet with it where everywhere Christians post for, for one day. And all they could see is this verse. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not destroyed by one another. Look. We can't even have a disagreement about President Trump without savaging each other, without mistreating each other. If you support him, well, how could you support him? You're not a Christian. How could you support a man like that? He's so vulgar and misogynistic and xenophobic, and he's just, he's a liar. And how could you possibly support him? And you start ripping into the people. Well, it's okay because it's about Trump. And then on the other side, 
How can you not support him? What do you, what do you love abortion? What do you, what do you love same-sex marriage? What do you, what do you love religious oppression? What kind of Christian are you? And, and we get nasty with each other, insult each other. It's like, oh gosh, what are we, what are we doing? There's a dying world out there. There are people that don't know the Lord and they listen to us. They're not going to listen to our gospel. Oh, praise the Lord. We just want you to know that Jesus loves you. It's like, right. Hypocrite. I'm going to listen to you. Not only that, Satan's kingdom can't be divided because a divided kingdom will fall. So Satan doesn't cast out Satan. Yet we divide constantly. How can we be strong to reach the lost? I, I was talking to, to one Christian leader a couple of weeks ago who, who ministers in Africa to the poorest of the poor. And, and I was talking about how critics reject her because of things they find in their ministry you know, odd. Or, and, and she got very passionate. She said, we have to love Jesus. We have to reach the lost. We have to reach the poor. And if we're divided, we can't reach the lost and we can't reach the poor. She was so passionate about that. It wasn't concerned people were attacking her. But if, we're, if we, are, we are not in unity and not in harmony, if we don't love each other, you know, we're not going to agree on every point, but if we don't walk in love towards each other, how can we reach a dying world? I mean, just picture a team. I don't care how good this team is. And instead of being in harmony, blasting each other, hey, texting against each other during games, and blah, he's just doing it for pride. He's just showing off. You can't trust him. And I don't care how talented they are. They're not going to win. Their, their division, their divisiveness, their biting and devouring each other will drag them down rather than coming together as one and saying, hey, let's win this. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1, he, he makes a strong appeal, and he makes this appeal as a prisoner of the Lord. This is one of his prison letters. He writes it from jail. Therefore, I, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, so he's urging you, he's urging me, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called with complete humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Ruach, the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of Shalom, the bond of peace. So how do we walk towards each other? With complete humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And now let's just scroll down, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Look at this guideline that Paul gives in terms of how we are to speak to one another. Ephesians 4, 29, let no harmful or unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building others up according to the need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. Can I repeat that? Let no harmful or no unwholesome word come out of your mouth or be posted on your internet or be uh, in your social media page or be included in your email. Let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building others up according to the need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. You say there'd be a lot less communication if we follow that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. There'd be a lot less speech 
if we follow that. But here, but, but what's written in Proverbs 10, 19? In the multitude of words, transgression is not lacking. But the one who restrains his lips is wise. So here, this is an ongoing test and challenge for me because I speak lots of words. I'm a radio host, live radio, right? Then I travel and speak. I'm a teacher and a preacher. And then I'm writing articles, on average, five articles a week, and then books. I'm, I'm not boasting about that. I'm just that's, that's my assignment, okay? In other words, I, I put out a lot of words. So there's constant self-examination, not in some uh, oppressed way where I'm not at peace. Uh, no, no, but there is a constant sense of, okay, am I walking in love? Am I building up? Am, am I saying something that is non-productive? You know, the other day I, I did a little talk about plants. I was commenting on Union Seminary, Union Theological Seminary in New York City doing a chapel service and confessing to plants. And I had some sarcastic fun with that. Uh, so, you know, was that good? Was that in order? Was that proper? You know, I, I hope it was, and I hope it was enjoyable and got a point across about this extreme environmental activism that, that doesn't fear and love and worship the God of the Bible and doesn't care about the unborn in the womb and find it the height of hypocrisy that you'll be radical liberal on social policies like, policies like abortion, not even believing in the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the authority of Scripture, and yet you want to confess to plants, that to me is, is hypocritical. But with anything I'm doing, writing an article asking, is it redemptive? If I'm bringing correction, and again, I don't, I don't mean I'm the model, follow me, but I'm saying all of us that speak a lot, all of us that communicate a lot, we have to ask the question, am I building up, am I edifying, am I speaking the truth in love? Even if I have to tear something down, am I building something better up in its place? It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. Special teaching today. Boy, I, I wish millions of people would listen to this, would watch this, but because it's not sensationalistic, because we're calling on believers to love one another. We probably won't get as many views as this is posted on YouTube, as many likes or shares on Facebook, as many people saying to, oh man, you got to hear this podcast, but, but I, hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that there's enough seriousness and maturity among believers and honor and love for the word of God that we just say, you know, we, we got to step higher. We're not walking in love. We're savaging each other. We're cruel to each other. We insult each other. We belittle each other. We make all kinds of judgments against each other. Look, Paul in 1 Corinthians, the, the second chapter, the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, the sixth chapter, uh, the 11th chapter, and, and elsewhere in the book, he talks about judging, making judgments. And yet in the fourth chapter, he says, I don't even judge myself. In other words, I'm not here to commend myself and look, I have a clean slate or, or judge the motivation of someone else's heart. We'll judge conduct. We'll judge other things. We'll judge doctrine. But God knows the heart. I'm not here to judge other people's hearts or why. I'm simply, uh, why they say what they do. I'm simply here to say, let us walk in love to the point that as Jesus said in John 13, and I've quoted repeatedly in this broadcast, everyone 
will see that we are his disciples by the love we have for each other. So I'm going to read through 1 John, the whole book, and, and let's see what it has to say about loving one another. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Yeshua, the Messiah. These things we write so our joy may be full. Some manuscripts say your joy. Now this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and keep walking in the darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of his son, Jesus, purifies us from all sin. So there's a constant purification that takes place as we walk in the light. Walking in the light doesn't mean we're yet perfect, but when we do sin, we turn from it and pursue the Lord. There's a continual cleansing. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The Greek is a continuous action. This is the saints. This is God's people. We have been saved and cleansed once for all, but there is the daily cleansing, the daily washing of our feet as we walk in this world. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, chapter two. First John, chapter two. John is now going to break this down for us a little bit. What does it mean to walk in darkness? What does it mean to walk in light? And where does love come in with all this? My children, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an intercessor with the Father, the righteous Messiah, Yeshua, reading from the Tree of Life version. He is the atonement for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Now, we know that we have come to know him by this if we keep his commandments. Now, he's not saying for all of his writers that they're to come under the Sinai covenant and keep Torah commandments, but primarily the commands of Jesus that are reiterated throughout the New Testament. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is truly made perfect. So when we walk in obedience to God's word, the love of God is made perfect in our lives. We know that we are in him by this. Whoever claims to abide in him must walk just as he walked. Loved ones, I'm not writing a new commandment for you, but an old commandment, one you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing a new commandment for you, which is true in him and you, because the darkness is fading and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light and hates his brother. Oh, how interesting. Now we see the distinction between light and darkness based on love and hate. The one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has made his eyes blind. There is a place for rebuke. There's a place for correction. There's a place for disagreement, but it must be motivated by love. If it's motivated by love, it will have the characteristics of love found in 1 Corinthians 13, patient, kind, not easily provoked, not rude, and on and on it goes. I am writing to you children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. How glorious. 
I write unto you fathers because you've known the one who's from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I've written to you children because you've known the father. I've written to you fathers because you've known the one who's from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. I mean, so much glorious truth to unpack here, but we're just focusing on the love command. Do you not love the world or the things in the world? So by the world, it doesn't mean the people of the world, but the, the, this world age, this world system. Do you not love the world or the things in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So are you going to be loyal to the father or loyal to the world, loving the one or the other? For everything in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the boasting of life is not from the father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desire, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. This is the New Testament mentality from the death of, and resurrection of Jesus till the end of the age, the last hour, last days, end of the age. That's how it's characterized. Children, it is the last hour. Just as you've heard that the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many anti-Messiahs have come. By this, we know it is the last hour. They left us, but they didn't really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they left us, so it became clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I've not written you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no tr lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Yeshua is the Messiah. That, this one is the anti-Messiah, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. The one who acknowledges the Son also has the Father. As for you, that what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will continue to live in the Son and in the Father. Now, this is the promise that he himself has promised us eternal life. I've written you these things about those who are trying to mislead you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, obviously about these fundamentals, these basics, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie, and just as it is taught you, abide in him. And now children abide in him. So we're called, this is an active step we take to abide in him so that when he appears, we'll have confidence and not be ashamed in his presence at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you also know that everyone who does what is righteous is born of him. So a truly born again person will live a righteous, godly life. As has often been said, the only proof of the new birth is the new life. And one of the aspects of this, as we'll now get emphasized even more, is the love we have one for another. All right, I better keep going. First John chapter three, he now begins to talk about, look, look at the glorious love. See how glorious the love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. Loved ones, now we are God's children and it has not yet been revealed what, we'll be, what we will be. But we do know that when it's revealed, we shall be like him because we'll see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope and then purifies himself just as he is pure. So looking forward to the return of the Lord, we purify ourselves. Everyone practicing sin also practices lawlessness. Indeed, sin is lawlessness. You know that Yeshua appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So fellowship with the Lord will break us free from habitual sin. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Talking about ongoing in our lives. Children, let no one mislead you. The one who practices righteous is righteous, just as Yeshua is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin. Again, speaking of the habit and pattern of life, because he's born of God. And now look at this. How do you distinguish? 
Who's the child of God? Who's the child of the devil? And looking at the clock, we won't get through all of this. It is clear who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil by this. Anyone who does not act righteously or love his brother is not of God. And, and then he goes down, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not remain, the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We have come to know love by this. Yeshua laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then if we just skip over to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, which, which lays things out so beautifully, so wonderfully, so clearly. 1 John chapter 4, after telling us not to believe every spirit. Verse 7, dear friends, loved ones, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love the love of God was revealed among us by this, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atonement for our sins. Loved ones, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And it goes on from there. Friends, we must recover the love of God. We must have a fresh immersion in the love of God. We can differ we can examine doctrine. We can dispute certain issues. Let us do it with a love that is so deep, so profound, so amazing, so beautiful, so wonderful, that the world will look at us and say, wow, they must be disciples of Jesus. Jesus.